Well, let me invite you to turn to Psalm 89. Psalm 89 this evening as we continue marching through the Psalms. I promise this Psalm is not nearly as dark and heavy as the last one. I had somebody uh, ask me uh, as, uh, before we came into the service, is this Psalm going to be as heavy and dark as the last? And I said, no, I promise. The Lord gives us a variety. We're finite. We can only handle so much. Psalm 89. A mascal of Ethan the Ezraite. Hear the word of the Lord. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God, greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones, And awesome above all who are around him, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth is also yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and south you have created them. Tabor and Hermon joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High your right hand. Righteousness and justice are are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face who exult in your name all the day and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Of old, you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant, with my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, the wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted." I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever, his throne as the days of the heavens If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, 
Then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter a word that went forth from my lips. For once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant of your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword, and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast the throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of men. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old by which your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked, how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations, with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Let us pray. O Lord God, we do ask that you might help us to hear your word in heart and life, that we might live to your glory and have hope of heaven. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have good news for you this evening. We are at the end of the third book of the Psalms. There are several books in the Psalms, and we're at the end of the third, and so we might have thought we would never arrive and turn the page and and reach a new section, but here we stand over halfway through the Psalter. But Psalm 89 that marks the end of the third book and the beginning of the fourth, it is a long psalm, 52 verses, which means that a microscopic treatment, verse by verse, word by word, line by line, is just impractical tonight. It's 635. We we can't do that together. But it's an important psalm. And above all the other psalms, this psalm is unique in that it is a chair text. Now, I want you to think for a moment about the chair that you're sitting on tonight. Think of what it would be like if the legs gave way, if, if we removed one and then a second and then a third. All, uh, all of uh, the king's men would be trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again after such a great fall. This is a chair passage. It is one or two of the major 
text grounding or holding up a a great and important doctrine in the life of the church. All of the Scripture is inspired, but not everything is equally clear in every place. Here in Psalm 89, we have enormous clarity about the Davidic covenant, about the unfolding covenant of grace that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so tonight, we will learn a little bit about David, but we will learn even more about Jesus and about the way he is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and about how God God keeps his promises and is faithful in Christ to all that he has promised for our salvation from of old. God can and must keep his covenant. Even when on occasion we can't quite see how. Well, the psalm opens with these words, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. The Lord here is said to be full of of loving kindness. He, He is the one who sets His love upon His people. His steadfast love will be built up forever. He tells us here in this section that He, is in His loving kindness, is eternal. That is, that, that God is not whimsical in love like we sometimes are, but rather He is deeply committed. He sets His love on us from before time began. It's not just that He knows ahead of time that He will love us, but rather He chooses and purposes to love. And so His mercy and His gospel kindness come to us in our lives and experience here in 2015, not just from a previous day or year, not from a previous century or millennium, but from even before time began, God set His covenant love upon His people. And He fills our mouths with praise. He gives us words and joy and light and life that come bubbling over in our lives. It's not that God is setting and choosing, setting His love upon us and and then we respond in just any old way. He makes a difference in our life. How we think, how we feel, how we respond to Him and to His loving kindness. He does great work in us and so we respond in doxological joy and praise to His merciful loving kindness. And all of this, we're told in verse 2, flows from heavens, from the heavens. Steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. All of the Christian life, all of joy and light and life that we enjoy in Christ and together, it all traces back and flows to us from heaven itself. The Lord is full of covenant love and covenant mercy towards us. And so God instituted in His covenant love His great covenant of grace. Yes, there was an early one. We read of it in the, in the opening three chapters of Genesis. We read about how God created our first father and our first mother and how He gave a peculiar and particular command. Created in the image of God, they were told that they were not to eat of the fruit of one tree. All the rest of the garden in which God had placed them to care and till was there for them to feast and enjoy upon. But that one, 
That one was set aside, not because it was purple or glowing green in the night. No, it was, it was one tree. And what marked it out was the fact that God said that they were not to eat from it. And our first father and mother failed. But then right on the heels of their moral collapse, God began speaking a word of blessing and covenant and gospel hope. And so there would be one to come who, yes, would be harmed by the seed of the serpent, bruised on the heel as it were, but he would crush the head of that serpent. He would triumph over him, that seed of the woman to come, even Jesus Christ our Lord. And so God instituted his great covenant of grace there in the third chapter of Genesis, and it rolls all the way through to the book of Revelation. God is the one who institutes and establishes in His covenant love His great covenant of grace. Verse 3 tells us, You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. God chose His servants. He chose them in His covenant faithfulness. He made promises just like this, that He would do what was necessary for our salvation. And He chose to use King David the shepherd boy, the son of Jesse, the one who who had courage that God had given him naturally to to be able to, to stare down a lion and a bear and triumph over them with just his little sling as he was protecting his sheep. David, who had the anointing of God, who was chosen by God to sit on the throne Not just the throne of a nation, not just the throne of God's chosen people, but the throne that pointed and represented what? The very throne of God. The very throne of God among men that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ now rightly occupies and will be seen one day to reign from that throne. Oh, God instituted His great covenant of grace and He chose servants out of His covenant faithfulness And he chose David and he established his throne forever. Next, the psalmist argues in favor of God's covenant faithfulness. You you see, this is not just a poem. It's not just a song. There's a line of logic and argument to what David is singing, uh, having sung to us here. This particular psalm is one Yes, speaking of David and speaking of God's covenant of grace, but the argument that is being made is that God can and does and must keep His covenant promises. Uh, Verses 5 to 10 speak to us of the fact that heaven proves that God can keep His covenants. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around Him? He is like none other in heaven. Now in heaven, there is the throne of God and and around Him are, are cherubim and seraphim and And then angelic beings that that we only begin to, to with some small measure understand. They serve Him and they do His will and they work in the created order by His command and power. And then there are the saints who have gone before us. 
Those departed spirits, as it were. Those whose bodies lay in the grave, but yet their souls are are there praising the Lord and waiting for the day of resurrection when they will rise in triumph and be like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, the very scene, the snapshot of heaven, which is given to us here in Psalm 89, proves that God can keep His covenant. Not only does He have the power of heaven, He also from heaven has the power of both creation and providence. Providential power is His. There is nothing too hard for Him. Verse 9 speaks of, You rule the the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. There the, the chaos of of the oceans with their shifting currents and waves, the the wind and and the power and the tumult of it, we can just feel, even as we have sung earlier this evening. And He is the one who with a still small voice controls and stills and rules over the waves because He is the God of their creation and He is the God of all providence. He is the one who decrees their movement and gives them power rather than them having it in and of narrowly themselves. Heaven, the place from which God decrees, the place from which He sees that His ends are accomplished by all of the heavenly beings that surround Him, He proves His covenant-keeping power and right. But He also proves that in earth. What we see around us in earth proves that God can keep His covenant The majesty of creation is His. Verse 11 says, The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all that is in it. You have founded them. The north and the south, you've created them. Tabor and Hermon, joyously praise your name. Go out one morning or one evening and cast your eye upon the Texas landscape. Far as you can see, Everything that your eye perceives, sky and cloud and wind and land and grass and water, all of it, all of it is of the Lord. Well, that's a romantic ideal. Perhaps your experience in the morning is riding down I-10 and all the concrete and all the buildings And all the people like little ants as they go along. All of this multiplicity of creation. Everything that we have built and that we have made is but a shadow of the power of Him who has made the heavens and the earth. His majesty is seen in what He has made and also in how His providence unfolds in His creation. Verse 15 says... Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exalt in your name all the day long, in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor our horn is exalted. Yes, here is the language of redemption, but also here is the language of redemption accomplished because of the providence of God, because of His mighty hand. Do you have joy? Do you have spiritual strength to face the day? Do you have talent, ability, desire, opportunities for service? All of these come from the providence of God. 
And he lays them out before you like so much cut wood. He, he works them and weaves them into your life. He, in his providence, is the one who shows his majesty even as he unfolds your days. Think back in your life. Times when, when you were just lost in the thicket. When you were unsure how you got where you are and, and you were not quite sure about tomorrow. Maybe, maybe it was a job. Maybe, maybe you felt like you were unsure about whether you could, you could continue or, or what choices you should make or, or what career path you should be on. God, in His providence, guides and leads. And now you can look back and see how the Lord directed and worked and wove all these things together by His divine decreeing power for His glory. And for your blessing, God is mighty and able, not just in creating, but in unfolding your days. And it's not just times of confusion. It's also times of downright pain and fear and suffering. Think of the darkest days of your life, the most bitter and difficult struggles, those times in which you sighed and cried out to heaven, cried out to the Lord in the night, not knowing if you could make it the next day. And from the glorious light of heaven, certainly you will be able to see and know that God has been good and has been great, greater even than all of your pains and suffering. And maybe even now, maybe maybe even now as you sit here in your chair, as you're held up by those, not chair texts, but those chair legs, as you're, as you're held up and you, and you think about hard times in your life, maybe God has given you a token of providential encouragement of having shown you, having shown you something of how His plan has worked for good and for blessing, even in the midst of pain in the past. And you can be sure in those matters of which you do not now understand And the pain is still very sharp that you can trust Him because of His covenant love. Oh, God surely can keep His covenant. Heaven proves it and His work on earth proves it as well. But there's another line of argument given in the text that's even more profound. It's not just that God can do these things. God must Now, you know it's a really big thing when you start telling God what to do and telling other people what God has to do. Kids, mom and dad can kind of tell you what to do. But now when you start talking back to mom and dad and telling them what they must do, then you must sharpen your pencil before you say a word. Like, dad, you must love mom. And you must love your children. That's okay to say. And so we must be careful as we listen to the psalmist sing of God's covenant love. But surely God must keep His covenant, he argues with us. You see in verses 19 down to 28, we have this extended description of God's promise, blessing of David. He's promised to bless David, the blessing of David is the link to God's faithfulness on the one hand and his loving kindness on the other. Verse 24 says, My loving kindness and my steadfast love shall be with him. David, I have found David my servant 
I've anointed him with my holy oil, back up in verse 20. My faithfulness and steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. And he shall cry to me, you are my God, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Here the Lord speaks in glorious verse, sings to us to stir our souls about the covenant promises that he has made to David. And if God has promised to David that there will be one who will reign on his throne forever, if God has promised to one who he has called out and he has established and he has sat upon the throne, if he has made gospel-saving covenant promises to him, then God has bound himself and he must, and he must keep his covenant. Verse 29 says, I will establish his offspring forever and his throne is the days of the heavens. There is the period at the end of the sentence. The exclamation point that David's posterity will be on the throne forever and God will be faithful and sure to keep his covenant. And in whom is that fulfilled other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? He is of the line and lineage of David, born in Bethlehem. He is the one who was anointed by God, called from before time began to fulfill the role of the great mediator, prophet, priest, and king of his people. David's posterity shall rule forever and endure forever. We are told in verses 36, or 35 and 36, for once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. It's as if God is stamping his foot and he's pointing to the sun and he's pointing to the moon and he's telling us as surely or in truth More surely than the sun and moon rise and fall in their appointed rounds, God will keep His covenant promises to David forever. Yet, even in this fair tune, lest we become triumphalistic and think that that means all is easy and well, the psalmist raises his nagging concern. Oh, it's, it's not a note of bleak darkness, but it is one with a question mark over it in his own time and experience. He has an argument about God's covenant. He's making the case back to God himself that he should keep his covenant promises because he knows that he can and he knows that he must and so he knows that he will. But he has this nagging concern. How will God keep his covenant? For you see, in his day and age, the throne of David appears already to be overthrown. Uh, We could read or sing from verses 38 down to 45, and there we would hear how the people of God have been cast off and rejected. They have experienced the wrath of God against their anointed kings. They, They have seen that, the psalmist has seen that the people have rejected covenant promises or blessings. They they have defiled the crown. They they have breached the walls. They, they They have allowed the people of God not to become the honor of the Lord, but rather 
to incur the scorn of their neighbors against their heavenly Father. Oh, David's throne at this point in the psalm has already been overthrown. And you know there's a limit. There's a limit to human endurance. Even even under divine province, the psalmist is doing exactly what you do. When times get bleak, and they continue in their difficulty day after day, at some point you reach your limit and you cry out. And you say, Lord, why? What are you going to do? When are things going to change? I can't take much of this anymore. There's a limit to frail human endurance, even in the context of divine provinces. Reproach, you see has replaced victory in the experience of the psalmist. And he's genuinely confused. How can that be? Because God has promised such good and great things. Ethan, the Ezraite, was puzzled and crushed of soul. He genuinely did not understand. But even though Ethan didn't understand, God understands. God knows. And so the psalmist in verse 52 does the right thing. He turns to God in all of his pressure and in all of his confusion and in all of his questions. He turns to God in praise. <coughs> Excuse me. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen, he exclaims. God knows the answer. And God is rightly to be praised even in the dark. And so we learn from the psalmist and the revelation of God the answer as well. We know this to be true because God himself has spoken to us in his word. He's told us and he's shown us in his son. And remembering, the remembering of God's covenant keeping is now spread out before us in what is given in this text. David's throne now, you see, is secure, and we can read back upon it and say, Oh, Ethan, don't you see? The Messiah is coming. Look to him for your salvation. You won't see his coming in your day, but you shall see him face to face, and you will glorify and worship him forever in the new heavens and new earth. Oh, Ethan, don't. Don't give up hope. You see, David's throne is now secure. It's secure because of our Lord Jesus Christ. What the psalmist could not see clearly was the incarnation. Was the fact that David's greater son who would sit on the throne would also be God's son in that conundrum and that confusion where also the sinfulness of God's people and the covenant promises of God for ultimate triumph, where they come together and they reach their only resolution in mind and heart and life is in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. His perfect life, His atoning death, His glorious resurrection. The psalmist At the point in redemptive history in which he was living, he could not yet see. He could not see clearly the trials, the suffering, and the death 
that would be required to secure our salvation. Triumph, you see, in the face of death requires resurrection. And so Jesus must come and overcome the grave. Oh, God is faithful to His covenant promises. To David and to Moses before him and to Abraham before him and and Noah before him and to our first father Adam. All of these promises of salvation, all of His covenant of grace promises are fulfilled in Christ Jesus your Lord. But that doesn't mean the Christian life is a walk in the park. That doesn't mean the lights turn on and everything's easy from that point. That does not mean that there are no troubles. Serious troubles and struggles infect our lives in this life all along the way. But those troubles are different now. For you see, they're not designed to destroy us. They're not designed to overthrow God and His purpose and His mercies. No, they are not designed to overthrow the covenant of grace for His people, but rather to establish it deeply in their lives. To make you feel your need of Jesus and make you have to lean upon Him every step of the way. He doesn't abandon us. His suffering and His tears brought our salvation and our suffering and tears are part of the way that He has established to buy and bring Christ's likeness in our own experience. My friend, let me encourage you. When times are hard for you, the Lord is chipping away at you with His chisel and His hammer. He is shaping and fashioning you more and more into the image of Christ. If you love His Son, then those hard and difficult things are not meant to crush you, but they're meant to bring glory and blessing and joy of Christ's likeness in your life. He is always there to comfort and strengthen. He is the answer to our sanctification just as He is the answer to our justification. And He holds His life out to us, does He not, in all the means of grace that He has given. And so the psalmist ends his song with a note that should be ringing in our ears as we leave tonight. Thanks be to God. God be praised. Blessed be the name of the Lord forever. For He has made His covenant promises and He has kept them even at the pain of the suffering and death of His Son for sinners like us. He sent His Son to live for us and now He blesses us, does He not, by living with us in His resurrection power forevermore. You trust Him. Let us pray. Oh, our Father and our God, we do ask that we might feel and see and know with the confidence that you alone can give the great sweep of your work of redemptive history. Help us. Help us to cling to your covenant promises. They are sure and amen in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your faithfulness. Help us to show love back to you in faithfulness as well as we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.